media outlets are agog, and some are even two gogs, over the latest allegations against Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. A woman who may or may not exist has given The New Yorker magazine details of an incident that may or may not have taken place, but which has been confirmed by several witnesses who say they weren't there. Writer Ronan Farrow says the possibly imaginary woman did not remember the time or location of the incident, but that this is a normal reaction to sexual trauma, especially when suffered by people who may not be real. Hearing of the new charges, Democrat Senator Dick Durbin said, quote, I believe her, but then I'm a complete sleazeball, so I never trust anything I say, unquote. Meanwhile, super trustworthy porn star lawyer Michael Avenatti says he has a client who has extremely credible evidence that she has made up a story about Kavanaugh, which, if true, would end his career. Avenatti said he could not give full details until there were at least a dozen cameras pointed in his direction, but he hinted the story involved six underage girls, a rubber chicken, a gang of pirates, three circus clowns, and a graphic description of a sexual organ that may or may not belong to a woman who is absolutely sure Kavanaugh would have brutally raped her if they had ever met. In the wake of Avenatti's charge, Senator Dianne Feinstein said the Kavanaugh hearing must be suspended immediately until more news networks could broadcast the baseless allegations so that people who didn't listen to the news very carefully would understand the sort of monster it sounds as if they're dealing with. A new poll shows that voters now oppose the confirmation of whoever we're talking about to whatever he's nominated to until whatever's at issue has been thoroughly investigated. Now leave us alone. Republican Senator Chuck Grassley, meanwhile, says if the latest witness does not get in touch by the Thursday deadline, he will move the deadline to Friday, and this time, he's serious. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray. Okay, the lovely and brilliant and also lovely Ann Coulter will be with us today. She is one of my favorites. I, I'm crazy about Ann, both personally and as a commentator. And tomorrow, of course, is mailbag day, right? So you got to get your questions in now if you want your problem solved. Just go to thedailywire.com. Press the podcast button, press the Andrew podcast, Andrew Clavin podcast, or the Andrew podcast, Clavin. If you get confused, it doesn't matter. You'll wind up with me eventually. Then hit the mailbag, then submit your questions if you are a subscriber. You must be a subscriber to ask questions. Otherwise, if you're not a subscriber, you just have to keep your problems and they never get solved. But I will answer all your questions about religion, politics, personal stuff. All my answers guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life every now and again for the better. But they'll, they'll always be there, so be there for tomorrow. The mailbag is a-coming. So, yesterday, I had this dream that the Republicans started fighting back and stood up for themselves. I was like, no, this can't be, this can't be real. It can't be. I woke up, you know, I was like, am I, do, do my eyes deceive me? Are those Republicans with spines? I've never seen such a thing before. I've got to lay off the mushrooms, I think. It's just like I'm taking so many drugs. I suddenly thought, whoa. Repu-. Do, you, do you ever wonder why it is so hard for, why do Republicans not fight back? I mean, they, they, they're right about everything. I mean, at least as far, so far as they represent conservatism, they're right. And they just, it always seems like they just fade away. They, you know, they, they kind of get up right up there and then it's like, uh, maybe not, maybe we won't do it. And all that talk, remember when Trump was running? Now, when Trump started running, I was appalled. I, I did not like Donald Trump at all. And people kept saying to me, yes, 
but he fights. And I would say, yeah, but he lies and he bullies people. And yes, but he fights. And I thought, how important is that? Well, it turns out they had a point. It is important. It is important. And the fact is he fights because he understands the media, because he is a media guy. This is why the media hates him so very much, is because he's them on the other side. He understands what they do and who they are, and that they have to be taken down, and they have to be answered every single time, and they have to be made fun of, and they have to be ridiculed, and they have to be exposed. He gets that. He gets the media. And for all this time, you know, part of part of the rap on Republicans, it's not always fair. Uh, guys like Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell are always being accused of cowardice and being soft and all this. But, you know, they're, they're institutional men. They're guys in these great big cat wrangling institutions. And they can't always do what some guy on the radio who's pounding his fist into his palm wants them to do. It's, Why don't you do something? Well, because they're managing hundreds of people with huge egos. And sometimes you just have to be sly and slow and fight it out. But it's also the media. I mean, the media has, which is wholly owned and operated subsidiary of the left, the media has this great gig going on. It is, they define the terms by which you can be identified as racist or sexist. And then they say, oh, you know, the thing about racism, the first thing about racism is you don't know you're racist. You don't know, you go like, I'm not racist. (laughs) See, that's a sign. That's a sign you're racist. When you say you're not racist, that means you're racist because if you knew you were racist, then you wouldn't be racist. You're like, huh? I mean, what? It's like, it's like talking to Freudians back in the day. Remember the Freudian psychiatrist? Ah, you want to sleep with your mother. Sleep with my mother. Have you seen my mother? I don't even like my mother. Ah, see, you wouldn't say that if you didn't want to sleep with your mother. So they know you're racist. So you don't know you're racist, but they know. They know you're racist because they can hear the dog whistle. So you say, you know, I think a country needs a border. Every country on earth has always had a border. We should secure our borders because people are coming across in the South. The South, those people are brown. You're racist. I'm not racist. Ha <laughs> ha, got you. See, if you were racist, you if you weren't racist, you wouldn't have said you're not racist because that means you're racist. So they get you. So this is what Republicans are dealing with. And of course, if Democrats say, oh yes, Barack Obama, he's a clean Negro who should be serving us coffee, but just happened to, you know, remember all that stuff Joe Biden and Bill Clinton were saying about Barack Obama, incredibly racist, you know, uh, uh, superior, arrogant stuff. That was fine. No dog whistles there because it's all about really, all really about politics. But if you say, wow, Obama, these are dark days, dark, see that dark, you got the dark. I heard the dark. You said dark, you're racist. I'm not racist. See, that proves it. So Republicans have been dealing with that for 30, 40 years, and they're like abused children. They're afraid to speak, and they back down because they're constantly being told, oh, you have to do this or you're racist. You have to do this or you're sexist. This time, this time, they finally figured out they have to stand up, led by led by a little bit by Trump, who came out and backed Brett Kavanaugh yesterday, but really by Kavanaugh, who finally, finally started to talk back. He went on Martha McCallum's, uh, McCallum's Fox show, The Story, and he just said he is not going to stand down. So play cut number two. I'm not going to let false accusations drive us out of this process. And um, you know, we're looking for a fair process where I can be heard and defend the my integrity, my lifelong record, my lifelong record of promoting dignity and equality for women, starting with the, the women who knew me when I was 14 years old. I'm not going anywhere. 
See, this is a big deal because they were depending on him to run for it. They were depending on him for run for it. They keep thinking if they can just break the, if they can break the spines of the spineless Republicans and he folds, then they've won. You know, the New York Times had a headline. They just kind of gave the game away. Today, the Democratic dream, defeat Kavanaugh, win the Senate, and stop Trump's Supreme Court picks. In other words, let's not let this election have consequences. It's okay for elections to have consequences when we win them, but not when the other side wins them. And here they, 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 they quote a guy, Brian Fallon, a uh, campaign advisor to Hillary Clinton. He says, saving the Supreme Court from Trump's clutches has always involved a very complicated two-step. First, block Kavanaugh, then fight like hell to win back the Senate. And remember, they're using the Anita Hill playbook. But the whole thing is, you have to remember this, they lost with Anita Hill because Clarence Thomas stood up to him and said, this is a lynching. So maybe, you know, we were talking yesterday about how they rewrite all history in their television shows and their movies, and those movies and televisions redefine history, but history, real history, remains the same. It doesn't get rewritten by HBO. It doesn't get rewritten in the movies. History remains the same, and they lost. They could not stop Clarence Thomas, and now they're thinking, hey, that's an idea. What if we stand up? So even Mitch McConnell took to the Senate floor yesterday and made what for him was a powerful speech defending their, uh, their nominee. Democrats have signaled for months They'd put on whatever performance the far left special interests demanded and throw all the mud, all the mud they could manufacture. Well, it's not like they didn't warn us, but even by the far left's standards, this shameful, shameful smear campaign has hit a new low. I'll get into the specifics in just a moment. But I want to be perfectly clear about what has taken place. Senate Democrats and their allies are trying to destroy a man's personal and professional life on the basis of decades-old allegations that are unsubstantiated and uncorroborated. That, Mr. President, is where we are. This is what the so-called resistance has become. I mean, for Mitch, that's a tantrum. Like, that's for Mitch McConnell, that is the moral equivalent of throwing a table across the room. That was a very forceful, he's not exactly the most dramatic speaker, but that was a very forceful speech. And it signaled, it put up a signal, no, we're standing. He says, we are going to vote on this. This is coming to a vote. It is going to get past the committee. So going back to this interview with Martha McCallum, Kavanaugh says, he was never even at Ford's Bar. I mean, this is the, the thing. The, the, the things, the stuff they're throwing at him now are so unsubstantiated that it, it's just not fair. It's not fair to knock him down on the basis of this. He says he was never at this party. He never was in the town. He wasn't in the town when they were doing it. But the big one was that Michael Avenatti thing where Michael Avenatti said, oh, we have evidence that he and um, Mark Judge were kind of going to these parties and organizing gang rapes. And so Martha McCallum asked him about that. And this was a very dramatic uh, conversation. Uh, number That's three. That's totally false and outrageous. Never done any such thing, known about any such thing. When I was in high school, uh, and I went to an all-boys Catholic high school, a Jesuit high school, where I was focused on academics and athletics, going to church every Sunday at Little Flower, 
uh, working on my service projects and friendship. Friendship with my fellow classmates and friendship with girls from the local all-girls Catholic schools. And yes, there were parties. And the drinking age was 18. And yes, the seniors were legal and had beer there. And yes, people might have had too many beers on occasion. And people generally in high school, I think all of us have probably done things we look back on in high school and regret or cringe a bit. But I, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an allegation of sexual assault. I've never sexually assaulted anyone. I did not have sexual intercourse or anything close to sexual intercourse in high school or for many years thereafter. And the girls uh, from the schools I went to and I uh, were so friends. So you're saying that all through all these years that are in question, you were a virgin? That's correct. Never had sexual intercourse with anyone in high school? Correct. And through what years in college, since we're probing into your personal many life years, here? Many years after. I'll leave it at that. Many years after. Oh, my God, a virgin. What is he, Mike Pence? Remember how they went after Mike Pence? Because he said, he said I wouldn't go out, he wouldn't go out with a woman alone. What are you afraid of, Mike? You're afraid that 35 years later she's going to charge, accuse you of something you didn't do? I mean, it is amazing. You can't win. You can't win if you're Mike Pence. You're a horrible crazy Christian who doesn't like women. And if you go out with a girl, who knows, they may crucify you later on. Now, we got to talk about Dollar Shave Club because I want to answer the question, how do I look so great? And I know, yeah, as you know, I have been a member of Dollar Shave Club since long before they became a sponsor. I heard about them on Sean Hannity's show, and I actually was testing Sean. I thought, he sounds really sincere. I want to see if he's telling the truth, because then I won't believe him about anything if they're no good, but they're great. They're absolutely great. They have everything you need to look feel and smell your best. And as you know, I got a lot of uh, real estate to cover, so I really need to use the best blades. And I like all the other products they have now. I've now tried them all out. At first, I didn't use any of them, but now I tried, I've tried them all out. And uh, I love the stuff. The pre, they have a pre-shave that really softens up your face. They have shave butter. I love that stuff. It is excellent. So right now, you can get ready for your day with an amazing deal on any one of their starter sets, okay? Their starter sets they give you stuff like Daily Essentials Starter Set, uh, which has Amber Lavender Body Cleanser, which I, I know it sounds silly, but I've actually used that as well. Uh, but you can't go wrong with any of them. Head over to dollarshaveclub.com slash Clavin to pick up your own DSC Starter Set for just five bucks. After your starter set, products ship at regular price. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Clavin, dollarshaveclub.com slash Clavin. You'll finally be able to look in a mirror and say, how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A. V-A-N. So now it turns out the guy's a virgin. And listen, that was in answer to, to Michael Avenatti's charge, creepy as, uh, as Tucker Carlson calls him, creepy porn lawyer. Listen to Avenatti's response. It is unbelievable. So what exactly is he saying? Is he saying that he did not have sexual intercourse? And are we going to get into a definition That's the word of exactly? Well, exactly. I mean, are we going to get into a definition of sexual intercourse? I mean, does that mean that he performed oral sex or had oral sex performed on him? Does that mean any host of any other sexual activities occurred? Uh, or does he want America to believe that the only thing that he did until well into his college years was effectively uh, kiss or French kiss a woman. Is that what he wants America to believe? Well, because I, I don't believe I don't believe it. But what if the well, senators do? Does that clear him? Well, I, I don't believe it. And I think it shows that he's lying. 
<laughs> shows that he's lying because he doesn't believe it. Hey, when I when I think of the things I've done, he can't possibly have done that. It's like, you're not too sleazy, Mike. You're just right. And the funny thing is now, by the way, he's locked his Twitter account. Why? Because I don't think he's got. I thought he thought they were going to fold. I thought they. I think they all thought he was going to fold, and they all thought the Republicans were going to fold. Listen to here's Cheryl Gay Stolberg from the New York Times, who suddenly realized, wait. Conservatives are fighting back, and she can't believe it. Listen to what she says. They're kind of circling the wagons around Judge Kavanaugh. You saw President Trump come out today and say he stands by him. He's with him all the way. Uh, We're told Senator Mitch McConnell is going to make a full-throated endorsement of Judge Kavanaugh when he takes the Senate floor this afternoon. We're already seeing statements from people like Orrin Hatch and Tom Cotton, both Republican senators, saying, let's go ahead with the hearing and go ahead with the vote. And they're attacking Democrats um, as running a smear campaign. And I think, you know, this is actually galvanizing conservatives, believe it or not. It, um, conservatives are telling me that they are more than ever behind Judge Kavanaugh, that they feel that he's being unfairly attacked. And as you know, we're in the middle of a midterm election season. So um, this is apparently riling up the conservative base, just as the stories from these women are energizing Democrats, especially Democratic women. Believe it or not, she says, she cannot believe it. When we lie about you, you're supposed supposed to fold. When we start hurling these, you know, baseless accusations on you, you are supposed to back down. Let's see what happens if they stand their ground. I think it is going to be a good thing. So the other thing that was happening yesterday that really cracked me up, especially because of the way the New York Times covered it. Uh, the New York Times is like a source of like constant satire at this point. Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, uh, he's been part of this whole D.C. circus, right? right? There's a story that was going around that after James Comey was fired, uh, and this was in the the guy who was Andrew McCabe, who was the acting head of the FBI after Comey was fired, he wrote memos saying that Rod Rosenstein suggested he would wear a wire, talk to Trump, tape Trump, and then they could get rid of him via Article 25, which says if you can get rid of the president if he's not fit to, to serve office. Rosenstein says this isn't true. Uh, he says, Some said it was a joke. Britt Hume tweeted today, the, the Fox, uh, the dean of Fox commentators, Britt Hume uh, tweeted, according to our sources at Fox News, it wasn't a joke. It was a sarc- sarcastic rebuttal to an accusation that he wasn't being tough enough on Trump, as in, what do you want me to do? Wear a wire? Somehow this got construed as a claim that he was joking or that he didn't say it. I have a very unpopular opinion about this because I, I know we want to talk about the deep state. We want there to be conspiracies against Trump in the deep state. I believe what Brittany Hume said. I believe Rosenstein. Why? Because Rosenstein is a very, very smart guy. You don't have to like him, but he's a very, very smart, talented attorney. He knows there ain't going to be no Article 25. He knows he's not going to wear a wire in there against the president. That is just garbage. I just don't believe it. Nikki Haley and uh, Mike Pompeo were at the UN. Uh, They both said that it was also ridiculous. Here's Haley. Literally, I have never once been in the White House where that conversation has happened. I am not aware of any cabinet members that are even talking about that. It is completely and totally absurd. Um, No one is questioning the president at all. If anything, we're trying to keep up the pace with him in the fact that he's got a lot he wants to accomplish very quickly, and we're going to continue to support him in the way that he does that. So they're just trying to keep up with Trump. They're not trying to get get rid of him. So yesterday, Rod Rosenstein, anyway, goes over to the White House, and the the reporter's saying he's going to resign. He's going 
going to be fired. He's going to be fired. Then he's going to resign. He's going to resign. Then he's going to be fired. First he'll resign, and then he'll be fired. No, you're quit. You're fired. You know, all of it. None of it happened. He went over there. Trump's in New York at the UN, so there wasn't going to be any firing, and he wasn't going to resign if he wasn't getting fired. And Trump said, "We'll talk on Thursday, and we'll find out what's going on." I mean, he should answer for this. You know, he should. This is a serious thing. You don't want your deputy attorney general saying this, so he should answer and talk about what's going on and uh, and what he meant and all that. And Trump should should find out the truth. And of course, you, you can always depend on Adam Schiff to be the sleaziest guy in the room. If he, he and Michael Avenatti ought to start their own law firm, he's like the Joe McCarthy. He says, oh, if he fires Rod Rosenstein, it'll be the Saturday Night Massacre a la Watergate. Rod Rosenstein should, under no circumstances, resign. Uh, if the president tends to obstruct justice, uh, Rosenstein should require him to be fired. Uh, he shouldn't take a, a step affirmatively uh, and essentially let the president uh, off the hook. Um, this looks to me like a slow-moving Saturday Night Massacre. Uh, it seems like the only question is whether uh, these steps take place now or they take place after the midterms when the president believes he'll pay less of a political price for it. But the fact that these steps, the firing of Comey, uh, pushing out Rod Rosenstein, uh, whether it's done now or later, the firing of the attorney general is apparently seems contemplated after the election. These are uh, in their cumulative form the same as the Saturday Night Massacre and all designed for the same end. And that is to give the president direct control over investigation, which he may be implicated so he really is like the reincarnation of Joe McCarthy. Obviously, the Saturday Night Massacre when Archibald Cox, the investigator into Watergate, uh, Nixon fired him and he had to fire a lot of people before he could find somebody <coughs> who would fire him. The Democrats always want to go back to Watergate. They hearken back to Watergate. That was their great triumph when they overturned an election of someone they didn't like uh, without having to go back to the people. And that's what they're trying to imitate with Donald Trump. So they're always thinking about that. But what I love is the New York Times, a former newspaper, the way they report this, they say, even for an administration famous for chaos and rival factions, Monday's events regarding Ron Rosenstein offered a remarkable display of the anxiety gripping the Trump administration. Where was the chaos? The chaos was at the New York Times. The chaos was in the media. The anxiety was in the media. All of this is in the media. And I'm not saying the Trump, the White House isn't chaotic. I don't know. I'm not there. But they're not worried about it. It's only, it is only the New York Times and certainly not bothering me. It's not my life. The chaos is in the press. So we got to bring on Ann Coulter because she's, she's got her new book, uh, Resistance is Futile, How the Trump-Hating Left Lost Its Collective Mind. It is out now. Anne has been on the bestseller list, the New York Times bestseller list, so many times I've lost count. You know, because when she first came out, she was such a rock star and so beautiful, and she did the dresses and the short dresses and all that stuff. People didn't notice what a terrific writer and researcher she is. And I was living in England when she first became famous, and I was going like, wow, you know, this woman is really something, because she she's not doesn't just look like that, which is spectacular. She still looks spectacular, but she also has got the substance, and she really is a good observer of the political scene. Plus, she has got a mouth on her that is <laughs> like nothing else. And in, the other thing, I always, I'm always afraid I'm going to ruin her career by pointing out that in person, she is one of the sweetest people I have ever met. I am absolutely crazy about her. So here's Ann Coulter talking about her new book, Resistance is Futile. Ann, it's so nice to hear your voice. How are you doing? Great to talk to you, Andrew Claven. So your new book, Resistance is Futile, How the Trump-Hating Left Lost Its Collective Mind. I have to ask you now, you were one of the first early Trump subscribers. I remember you getting mocked on the Bill Maher show for saying he was going to win. 
Where do you stand on Trump now? How is he doing? <laughs> well, you'll notice the, the cleverness of my book is I don't have to say much about Trump himself. <laughs> it's about the opposition to him because I started noticing, I, I mean, for those of you who follow me assiduously on Twitter know that I'm a little upset with the man um, for not keeping his promises. I mean, this, it really was like a miracle candidacy. Um, no, he was never what I had in mind as, as presidential material, but he was the only one who was saying all of the things that none of the rest of them would say on trade, on immigration, on um, defending our borders and not other borders. Well, he hasn't really done any of that. And then you have this lunatic opposition to him, and they don't notice the huge huge errors he is making that could drive his base away from him. No, no, no. They have to create some crazy Russian conspiracy. This, <laughs> this demented loser who's lying about his, his taxes and, and is going around um, assaulting women also managed to engage in a vast international conspiracy with our geopolitical enemy, Russia, to steal the election from the most qualified woman ever to run for that office. So the book, luckily for me, <laughs> I don't really have to say anything nice about Trump. Um, and in fact, I mean, the one, the one hopeful note I ended on, um, which the, the very last sentence, I'll give you um, a little secret. I only threw in the very last sentence of the entire book because I thought, eh, this is kind of harsh on Trump. <laughs> and, and some people are are getting are getting annoyed with me for for ragging him on on Twitter, including him himself. Um, but screw him, build the wall if he wants me to stop. Um, but the final chapter is, you know, maybe the only thing we'll ever get out of this guy is he'll destroy the media, which would by which I mean the existing mainstream media. We can build a new media on more ethical lines. Um, because that is what the whole, the whole, the first 200 pages of the book attacks. The media is just completely out of control with Trump. They have lost their minds, and they're not, they're not hurting Trump. They're helping him. Um, they're not, and they're certainly not helping the country. Well, now let me ask you that. I mean, the book is called "Resistance Is Futile." Is it futile? I mean, the, the polls are kind of showing that people want the Democrats to take back uh, Congress. Do you disbelieve that? Um, I think Republicans are working so hard to ensure there is a blue wave. <laughs> they may overcome the good efforts of, of the insane media. I mean, their base is white hot. The odds are, historically, there ought to be a blue wave. Democrats should have a really big year. Um, and is our base excited? Well, there's no wall. Um, and, and just a couple of days ago, the Washington Post ran a big article talking to various Republican senators who... <laughs> Don't even have the decency to lie to the voters. <laughs> You're up for election, and you come out, what, a few weeks before the most important midterm election in a very long time, and, uh, yeah, we're never giving you a wall. <laughs> John Cornyn, John Cornyn, I mean, who is advising them, Andrew? Who, whoever their advisors are, yep, yep, we've checked with the American people. They have no interest in a wall. It's really going to help you. I just, I don't even know if they're corrupt or stupid. At least cynically lie to us and, and pretend we're getting a wall after the midterm elections. And now with this Kavanaugh business, well, since that was such a big issue, what's stopping them? I seriously, <laughs> I don't know. I <laughs> I figured the one thing we were going to get out, well, I say one thing, destroy the media, maybe the only thing now, but but on 
Um, one of the things I loved about the Trump campaign was he really exposed my party, the Republican Party. I, I knew the Democrats didn't particularly care for Americans. Um, but, it, I mean, the hatred for Trump, instead of other Republican candidates grabbing onto his issues, um, that, that, that night on Bill Maher where I said Trump was the most likely to win the nomination, he was just asking about the nomination then, that was two days after what I fondly call the Mexican rapist speech. Trump wasn't even my candidate then. The rest of the tape, the, the, I follow up by saying, He's not my candidate. I'm still hoping for um, a Romney Scott Walker ticket um, because they're like, you know, serious individuals. <laughs> they, they have the background in politics, the sort of thing you would, you want from a presidential candidate. Why didn't candidates like like them grab Trump's issues? Wow, this is popular. Americans are willing to put up with a complete lunatic if he will just build a wall, deport illegals. Um, end the job-killing trade deals for once. Do something for the flyover people. Do something for the working class. I'm not working class. This isn't self-interested. But no, no, no. Republicans t check with their, their consultants, and the consultants check with the donors. And no, what the American people want is more cheap labor. <laughs> what, all right, so let's, let, let us talk about uh, Brett Kavanaugh. This is I, I'm finding this kind of disgusting. It reminds me of Vince Foster's suicide note. Remember where he said that destroying people in Washington is a sport? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, w w first of all, what do you think? Where do you think this is going? I want them to vote today. This is so outrageous. I knew they were going to do this. Um, I, I, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm furious about this. I knew this would come up. You had pr probably... Um, Every I was in college and law school about the same time as Brett Kavanaugh. Um, I no, this didn't happen. This absolutely didn't happen. One girl who says I was her um, Ramirez is the woman's um, best friend in law school. If this had happened, I would have known about it. Um, and no, this didn't happen. And that woman gives her name, as did five other close friends of of both of them in that dorm room. They give their names and say, absolutely, this never happened. So, so it's a hit um, job, but will the Republicans cave? I'm terrified they will. A piece like this would never have been run against anyone else. Yes. That's, I mean, that's not Ronan Farrow's fault. It's the New Yorker's fault. You can't imagine a piece like this. You don't have one person substantiating it, which actually kind of surprises me, because I think probably 99% of the female graduates from Yale or Yale Law School um, attended pussy hat marches, um, that you can't get five of them together to, to lie about Kavanaugh to save abortion. Um, but, but I, I mean, one thing it's worth mentioning, I checked to make sure I was, my recollection was right about this. I looked it up on Nexus. Kavanaugh was one of Ken Starr's lead prosecutors, right. um, for those of us who lived through it, Bill Clinton, James Carville, Larry Flint, Harvey Weinstein had a book um, that, that did nothing but slant, look into the personal lives of, of stars, prosecutors, and people like me. I got the book killed. Um, it was called Insane Clown Posse. There was massive investigation. That was Bill Clinton's approach. Attack the people who are investigating me. And they couldn't find uh, Kavanaugh's name was all over the news back then. Um, that's what I checked on Nexus to make sure it wasn't just something I happened to know from like Washington gossip. Oh no, 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 no! It was all over the news. Brett Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, and the Clinton attack machine couldn't find this woman Ramirez. 
when he was one of the lead prosecutors on an investigation that led to the impeachment of Bill Clinton for whipping out his penis in front of female underlings. What, what do you think? What do you think of the this entire kind of Me Too thing, where something you did 35 years ago comes back and bites you? Do you have sympathy for the Me Too people, or is it all just a kind of political scam? Well, it's a mixed bag. Some of them, I think, are great. Some of them are. Um, I mean, you know, you notice it's. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure I'd call this Me Too. This is this is borking we're seeing right now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But most of the ones that have been described as Me Too, it was all 100% liberal sexual predators who had been protected for 20 years. Why? Because Hillary Clinton was running for president and they needed to defend Bill Clinton hmm. and, and Teddy Kennedy. Hmm. And suddenly, suddenly, there are, you know, the dam breaks. Okay, now you can go after friends of Bill and Hillary Clinton. And so the first, the first batch of them, oh my gosh, all liberal men. You couldn't have gotten away with any of that, Andrew. <laughs> if only, if only I could have. You know, uh, yeah. you, you, you've talked a lot about, you, when you're talking about the media, and I, I agree with you, I think the media is one of the biggest problems we have in the country. I'm a, a absolute, uh, an absolutist when it comes to the First Amendment, but they are so corrupt, they need to reform themselves or be beaten into reforming. What what are the big lies? I'm running out of time, but could you give me a list of the big lies that they have been selling about Donald Trump that you, as no great friend of Trump's, uh, that you feel are just real big lie stuff? Um, well, I'll do them roughly in order. One was the Access Hollywood tape. It's a sexual assault. It's a sexual assault. He said they let you do it. Mm -hmm. It was, that the, the Access Hollywood tape is the perfect encapsulation of what they do. They had a tape with, with Trump sounding like a complete idiot and a boor. But they can't just leave it at that. <laughs> no, no, no. We have to leap to. It's a criminal offense. <laughs> and they were so... They, they, the, the titanic overreaction to the Access Hollywood tape, um, I think the, the public had the same reaction I'm having right now to the false claim. False claim in the case of Kavanaugh. Maybe it's unfair to compare them. But the false claim against, claims against Kavanaugh, it's, people end up being more outraged by the deliverer of the news. Um, also, of course, the Access Hollywood tape, the release of that, the husbanding of it and recording of it, that is not <laughs> illegal, very, very illegal, um, um, certainly, it's the, it's the same sort of thing as the allegation that the Russians um, um, hacked the DNC's and, um, emails and published them. Um, information the Democrats didn't want to come out that was embarrassing to them, truthful, came out before the election. I mean, that whole, the, everything the Russians are accused of is what the media does to Republicans every election cycle. <laughs> All right, Ann Coulter, you're the best. I mean, I look at all the uh, young women coming up today. You have become a genre. Uh, I think you've created an entire generation of, uh, of commentators. Uh, it's always great talking to you. Thanks very much. I, I got to say, the thing I love most about Anne, aside from the fact that she is hotter than the hinges of hell because I'm a total sexist and a, and a sucker for a pretty face and she's just gorgeous. But, but aside from that, the thing I really love is she cuts nobody any slack. She will support you if she agrees with you. And she supported Trump because she feels that this, that the situation at the border is a crisis. She wrote an entire book about it, Adios America. 
and she has taunted him on Twitter every single day. Every single day, she taunts Trump on Twitter saying, miles of wall built so far, zero. And she keeps putting out the same, same tweet. And she has gotten into cursing, four-letter word, you know, back and forths with him in the Oval Office. And she just holds his feet to the fire if, if he doesn't do the thing that he promised to do that was most important to her. And, you know, when she talks about the press, that he may actually destroy the press so we can reform it and get a more honest media in America, which we really do need, uh, she's right. That may be the most important thing he does. All right, time for sexual follies. So if you follow the Drudge Report, and everybody follows the Drudge Report, it looks like it was printed in 1990, but it's just still, it's still the essential news site on the internet. You may have noticed that Matt Drudge is a little bit obsessed with sex robots, okay? <laughs> and I think that basically that's because they include both the word sex and robots, and I think that's just very compelling. But the thing about sex robots is it actually is an important issue in this funny way because of trans, what they call transhumanism, which is the fact that we are clearly heading into an age when human beings are going to be enhanced but by adding stuff to their brains and putting, you know, attaching them to machines. And sex robots are kind of part of that, something that you can have what used to be a, an essentially human relationship you'll be now able to have with a machine. And I think transhumanism is a big deal. And one of the ways you can tell it's a big deal is because of so many, you know, when I was a kid, all the movies were Westerns and about World War II because America was thinking about its past. It was thinking about how we became the greatest nation in the world, which when I was a kid, we really had just become. We were going to the moon, all this stuff was happening. And so we, Westerns and World War II were the two big subjects of the movies and of our games that we played. Whereas now, everything is superheroes, everything is superheroes and science fiction, as I predicted, by the way, that we are now thinking about superheroes and science fiction because we're thinking about how we're going to move into this new age when we become essentially superheroes, but what are the ethical problems going to be? What are the moral problems going to be? You know, the, the noir detective story, the tough guy detective story, which I made my living at for so many years, is now usually, like Blade Runner, a detective story about the nature of humanity. That is this mystery that the detective is trying to solve because transhumanism is right around the corner and people sense it coming and they sense it in their subconscious and creative people sense it. And so they make these movies and that's what they, I feel that they're all about. They're sort of preparing our minds for this to happen. So with sex robots, one of the reasons I think that Drudge is obsessed with it and so many people are obsessed with it is because it sort of is telling us that this relationship that is so human and is at the core of our humanity may now be shunted off, or it may be possible to shunt it off into a machine, and what does it mean? So there, is now, there are now people coming along who feel that sex robots have to be regulated, that we have to prepare for sex robotism with regulations. And the things they're talking about are, you know, should you be allowed to have a sex robot that, is, that makes noises as if she's being raped? Or should you be allowed to have a sex robot who looks like a child? Uh, and what's really funny about this to me, and I mean, I know that's kind of sounds not that funny, but it is kind of funny because 
How can you rape a robot? I mean, to rape somebody is to strip them of their will. That is the crime of rape. I mean, rape is just, you know, is in terms of its actions, if it's not violent, rape is just sex. What makes rape rape is that you are stripping somebody of their right to choose what they're going to do. A robot doesn't have that right. A robot can't make choices. And what difference does it make if the robot looks like a child? For all I know, that's going to help some, uh, you know, pedophile take it out on a robot instead of a real human being, instead of really damaging a human being. It may be a positive thing that, that he can do that. And yet, underneath all that, underneath all that, I can't help but feel that there is a question that robots like this and questions about regulation bring up that is the discussion that we are having but not having. You know, remember I was talking yesterday about the fact that the left ruins everything by making all their discussions really battles for power. They're not really talking about what we think we're talking about. We're always talking about whether the left should get more power for the government. And with this Me Too movement, which has really become this weapon that they're wielding. I mean, I know they're really honest people in the Me Too movement, but it's now become this weapon that the left is wielding to get power. Underneath that is a question about the nature of, of women, the nature of men. It's, it's also in this kind of uh, transgender discussion. What are we like? And the reason I'm so opposed to feminism, the reason I've always been so opposed to feminism is because I oppose its opposition to femininity because I think that masculinity and femininity are both things that we need in the world. I think we need women to be feminine and we need men to be masculine because th those two forces make the world whole. And I think the conversation that we really need to be having is what is a human being? And once we get finished with that, we have to talk about what is a man and what is a woman? Because that's the conversation that's underneath the conversation we're having. All right. Tomorrow is the mailbag. Be there. You got to subscribe. Go to the dailywire.com. Hit the podcast button. Hit the Andrew Clavin podcast. Hit the mailbag button and ask your question. If you are a subscriber, ask anything you like. Answers guaranteed 100% correct will change your life. For the better, I, uh, God, who, who knows? Who knows? I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. We'll see you again tomorrow. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.